follow me. I will make you to be fishers of men. And one of the things that's in their minds is they know enough of the Hebrew scriptures and the prophetic plan that they they have a kingdom expectation. There is a great and glorious kingdom coming. We already have John the Baptist on the scene. And John the Baptist, as we've gone through Matthew's gospel, we pointed out John the Baptist is living in the wilderness. He's eating locusts and wild, and wild honey, and he's wearing camel's hair skins, and he's got a leather belt around. He is living the life of a person who is out in the wilderness just trying to survive because the nation's been invaded. There's nothing in the pantry at home. The wardrobe's been cleaned out. He's out in the wilderness just trying to survive. He is depicting that future experience of Israel by his lifestyle. But the people are coming out from everywhere to hear him preach. He is speaking to thousands, crowds of thousands. And he's got disciples. We know from John's gospel that the apostle, the men who would become the apostles John and Andrew are disciples of John the Baptist. And so he is depicting what will be the experience in the process of restoration. There will be a great battle. There will be great conflict. There will be great suffering. But then here comes this fellow Jesus and Jesus comes to John the Baptist and Jesus says, and he is there, and John the Baptist says, me baptize you? You should be baptizing me. Let it be so, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And so John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus comes up out of the water, John the Baptist sees God the Holy Spirit descend in a form, the form of a dove. He hears a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is confirming. He is, he is the anointer of the Messiah. He is the one who is present. The, the anointing. When does Messiah become Messiah? When does the anointed one become the anointed one? When the Holy Spirit comes upon him. That is when Jesus becomes Jesus Messiah. Jesus Christ, anointed one. And then Jesus starts preaching and decide and John and Andrew, they he, they they witness John the Baptist pointing at Jesus as he walks by. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they hive off from John the Baptist and start following Jesus. And then others start joining him and he recruits Simon Peter Come follow me, fishermen. I will teach you how to be a fisherman of men. And so these men come and see, but what they're, and they're eating and drinking. They're partying. They're in Israel. They're, the lifestyle of Jesus is depicting the promised kingdom glory. John the Baptist, the suffering that would proceed, but then Jesus, the kingdom blessing glory. That's what they signed up for. <laughs> and now the climax of Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel is this event when Jesus turns to these men who've probably been with him for two plus years. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And as we looked at this two weeks ago and 
Peter speaking on behalf of all of them, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's completely come together for them there. Now, put yourself in their place. I said this is emotional. Put yourself in their place. It's not hard for me to believe at all that God would have great blessing purpose for Ednaj. He is so blessable. I mean, he is. A, but I know me. I'm not so sure knowing me, the depth of me, that God could have that. So put yourself in the place of these men. Fishermen, a tax collector, <laughs> Matthew, the hated, most hated guys in the neighborhood. The idea that Jesus is the Messiah isn't that difficult. The idea that he would pick me, that's my problem. And so I, I would suggest to you that's really what these men have had to work through is they've seen all the evidence about Jesus, but it's like the thing that slows me down is why would the Messiah, the Son of God, pick me to be a companion and a chosen sent one? But here they are. You are the Messiah. I can't believe you picked me to be a companion with you, but you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That measure of grace and mercy upon me, I can't even comprehend, but I can't deny it. We've just seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed. We've heard your wisdom rebuking your enemies time after time after time after time with no failure whatsoever. We've seen you calm the storm. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon, you didn't think this up on your own. I'm not saying you're dumb, but this was revealed to you from heaven. You're actually the recipient of divine revelation. That's where this conviction that I am who I am, and you got it right, has come from. And I would dare say the overcoming principally had to do with Peter's not, <laughs> Peter's astonishment that he would be one of the companions of the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you are Petras, that fist-sized stone, and on this Petra, the feminine form of the same word, I will build my church. And as we covered this a couple weeks ago, I would suggest to you that that rock is in fact the simple confession. The simple confession, because out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, Psalm 8, you, God, have ordained strength. God loves using the weakness of us as his chief weapon against his enemy. On this Petra rock, a simple confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it.
Mm-hmm. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, and because we did not love our lives even unto death, Revelation chapter 12, Satan stands before the throne of God accusing us. Does he, have any, he doesn't have to make anything up about me. <coughs> but they, the accused ones, those who have been upon whom God's mercy and grace has come, overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb. And, as we're going to see, the word of their testimony. And because they did not love their lives, even unto death, they chose death rather than disloyalty to Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to take them to next. Because he's going to, now see, as Peter is making this great confession, and they're all in there with Peter, and they're all so excited, all of a sudden Jesus says something that absolutely pours cold water all over all the excitement. As he says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Wait, 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 wait. We did not sign up for that. We signed up for the kingdom glory thing. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that you sh this shouldn't, shall not happen to you. This is the fellow who just moments before said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now he's rebuking the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is, if there's any place in all of human history where somebody has gone from the penthouse to the outhouse in one giant leap, this is it. Because Jesus turns to him, whom he had just given accolades two moments before, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. But Jesus, this isn't what we signed up for. We didn't sign up for your death. We signed up for kingdom glory. Get behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things that be of God but the things that be of men. And he, then Jesus piles on more. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now he has already said this in Matthew 10, where he's talked about that great discipleship chapter of Matthew's Gospel. But, you know, it's kind of a remote thing, and we can get that, take up your cross and follow me. But he hasn't said, I am literally going to be crucified. By the way, what will Peter's experience be? We know he would be crucified. Following Jesus would mean for Peter and many of the others crucifixion or beheading or torturous death in some other way. That wasn't what they signed up for. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
take your own life's agenda, just as Daryl said about this young man, they took the drugs, they took the paraphernalia, and they put him in the dumpster, they put him in the burn pile, they put him... He took this stuff that is his life, and he dumped it. Now let's pray for that young man that he will continue moving in that direction. But what is Jesus saying to these men? Take your preconceived notion of what walking with me will look like. Take that, throw it away, because I've got a much more difficult but much more glorious plan in mind for you than you had for yourself in your wildest expectation. Am I calling you to discipleship? Am I calling you to torture and death? Am I calling you to deprivation? Yes, I am. But I'm going to more than make up for it. The glory that you will, that this cross-carrying will qualify you for is glory beyond anything you can conceive. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, from 2,000 years distance, these men had all seen people crucified. The Romans, when they crucified people, they made it as public as they possibly could. The reason the Roman Empire lasted so long was because they were so over-the-top cruel. And any whiff of rebellion was met with conquest, destruction, crucifixion. When the Jews in 68 A.D., will rebel against Roman rule. The Romans will spend two years. They'll start in Galilee in 68, and they will slowly work their way to Jerusalem. When they get to Jerusalem, all the Jews who haven't fled, and Jesus told the Christians ahead of time, get out. When you see the armies assembling, get out of Dodge, get out of Jerusalem. They come to the city of Jerusalem. They completely tear it down destroy the temple, crucified about 100,000 Jews outside the walls and sold the rest of them into slavery and suppressed the value of slaves throughout the Roman world for years to come because they glutted the market with Jewish slaves. They had all seen, and the, and the Romans would crucify people at crossroads. They wanted as many people to see crucifixion as they could because they wanted to deter everyone from rebellion. So these men have seen it. It's not some remote thing. They've seen it happen. And Jesus says to them, so this is a very, <laughs> talk about a call to discipleship, call to sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. He has just told them, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. This isn't what we signed up for, Jesus. Oh, I understand that. But.
but the outcome for you will be greater than the best outcome you were expecting from what you thought you were signing up for. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Okay, let's say you desert me and you go back. The close of the Gospel of John. We had a fine message on it a few weeks ago from Darren. It's following the resurrection. Jesus has met them in the upper room. He's breathed the Holy Spirit on them, on these apostles. And yet in John 21, what are they doing? They're going back to fishing. They're defaulting back to the old way of earning a living. And Jesus meets them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he pointedly restores the Peter who had denied him three times. He says to that same Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And Peter turns away from returning to the fishing business. To a cross. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Hey, you know, I got this investment thing down perfect. I mean, I got it made in the shade. I got this place up in Las Vegas that is just going to be this coolest apartment. Or I've got some remote place. Uh, I mean, I saw an ad just yesterday in the Yellowstone Park in the up in 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 in. in northern part of Wyoming I mean you can get just this beautiful acreage there and you no don't do it the investment plan that is the only worthwhile investment plan is the Jesus plan whoever desires to save his life to shore things up so that they can walk through this life experience in the best possible way no, it's going to fail them. He will lose it. But whoever throws his life away for my sake, what the world would say, what a knucklehead, why are you doing that? Whoever throws his life away for my sake, he'll, he'll find his life. He'll come into kingdom glory that he hasn't even got the frame of reference to get his mind and heart wrapped around that's the only wise investment in god's creation is the is the jesus plan whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it <clears throat> for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world. And what do we see on the cover of Time magazine or whoever? Uh, these pictures of these so-called successful people. What's the ultimate outcome for them? Well, some of them is the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Oh, that's not pleasant. This is God's creation. He calls the shots. Or they will come to the judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment for reward of believers. And they will come away with nothing or far less than they could have because they hadn't invested their life into the Jesus plan. 
God wants to pour out as much kingdom blessing on us as he possibly can. And the only restraint on that is what measure, what was the measure of my commitment? That's it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And here is, isn't just the, the soul as being that inanimate part of man. It's, the word soul means life. It can mean life experience. Has anybody here ever made a bad investment? <laughs> I think we've all made bad investments. It may be as simple as walking into the butcher shop. I want that steak. And then you get it home and, oh, man, that was a disappointment. I mean, it can be as simple as that to far more damaging. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his life experience for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Now, put yourself in that place. You're standing on the planet. All of a sudden, the heavens rip open. And here comes Jesus in the glory of his Father with his angels. I think the rest of this stuff is really not nearly as important as I thought it was. And then he, the Son of Man, will reward, will reward, which he is so eager to do, will reward each according to his works. It's a pretty simple proposition. Any time I am spending that cannot legitimately be understood as being done under the shepherding guidance of Jesus, seeking his favor, any financial investment, any time investment I am making that isn't with an eye towards kingdom service, is a stupid investment. He purposes to reward us. He is eager to reward us according to what we have done. Assuredly, I say to you, there are, some, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And the very next passage, which we will be looking at next week, unless Jesus yanks us out of here first, is the transformation of Jesus Christ on the mountain when he is transfigured and they see him in kingdom glory. So he's going to give those three favored apostles a glimpse into kingdom glory as a confirmation to his message. You're going to see the kingdom glory. It's not just a made-up thing. You're going to be given a knothole to peek through and see what it's going to be like. Let's pray to our Lord. Our Lord, we're all the same. We have to make decisions repeatedly through the day. Some of them are more major than others, but we have to continually make 
decisions. Will I, at this moment, in serving someone else, be serving you? Will I choose to serve this other person with an eye towards the fact that I'm serving you in serving them? What you have done to one of the least of these, my children, you've done to me. Or will I disdain that? Will I put myself first in the immediate sense and seek only to serve myself? Because frankly, I don't believe what you're saying. Will I call you a liar or will I call you a truth teller? Well, you've given us every reason to call you a truth teller. You healed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. You raised the dead. You went to a cross. You paid sin's penalty for us while on the cross. You came out of your, that tomb that you were placed in. The apostles saw you rise into heaven with the accompanying promise that as they saw you go, so they would see you come again. Our Lord, we are in the asking that in the the balance of this day and in the days ahead, you will enable us to put all of our eggs in the basket of your kingdom promise. To trust you, knowing that any other investment decision is absolute foolishness. We thank you for telling us the truth. Yes, what, what is immediately in front of us is cross-carrying. It's difficult. There will be great sacrifices. But you are promising to more than make up for them in kingdom glory. And so we are asking that by the help of your Holy Spirit, today and in the days to come, you will enable us to make that wise investment decision over and over and over again. King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.